All right. Thank you, Jimmy. And welcome to the Unified CXM Experience. Um, this podcast has um, been a real joy. I've been doing this for almost a year now. We're at 150 episodes. I am your host, as usual, CXO at Sprinkler, Chief Experience Officer, Grad Con. And today, I've got a special guest. I'm joined by Rob Harles. He's the global lead for modern and emerging channels for Accenture Interactive. And Rob and I had a chance to interact on uh, another podcast for uh, another group uh, not too long ago. And we had such a good time. We thought, hey, why don't we just kind of continue the discussion and bring it over here to the unified CXM experience and sort of see what happens. So welcome to the show, Rob. Well, thanks for having me. You know, and I appreciate this Friday afternoon, another hot summer. I know it's tough, um, but uh, really, really appreciate the time and uh, and the commitment to do this. So I think we, we want a couple things we want to cover today. I, I, the things that we've been chatting about a little bit, which is how do you really get your hands dirty on customer experience? You know, how do you really get in there and understand it? And I, I do find, I find people get almost so theoretical about it that they lose touch with the actual problem at hand. And then maybe are we over mechanizing and over digitizing this thing and making it so inhuman that people don't trust it anymore. And you've got a really funny story about the switch between humans and bots. We want to talk about that. I want to kick it off a little bit with a story that I've told before on a couple other episodes, but I just want to, I think it frames this discussion really well because it's an interesting combination of digital and human and it's so ridiculously simple that I, I, I almost feel like people wouldn't even think of doing it. Um, but it was so incredibly powerful. And uh, I have this company I bought a product from recently called Pedestal Source. And Pedestal Source, the only thing that Pedestal Source does is they make pedestals. <laughs> That's it. You know, you know can, you, can you make a box? Nope, just a pedestal. Uh, you know, can you make a, nope. Just a pedestal. They, they make pedestals. They may make pedestals that people can use at trade shows, in art galleries, in homes, and people often will put you know, displays on top of the pedestals. And some of the pedestals have got uh, a kind of a glass top so you can have light from below. Some pedestals are plain. They can be short and squat or tall. So there are different sizes of pedestals, but they just make pedestals. And so I have recently acquired a piece of art. It's a very cool piece of glass that looks like a looks like a bag with a goldfish in it. I mean, it doesn't look, it looks like a bag with goldfish. It's made out of glass though. But what I found I had a problem is that everyone who came over to my house, when they saw this fairly expensive uh, sculpture, they were desperate to touch it because it looked really approachable. And, and so, and it, it's reasonably fragile. And so I thought I need to put this on a pedestal so that people will be less likely to touch it. So it looks more like art. And so I found pedestal source, I bought, uh, uh, an underlit, because it's glass, it looks beautiful, an underlit pedestal, and uh, placed the order. And it was quite a nice process. Everything went really well, and they were very friendly in their emails back and forth, and it was excellent. I paid my money and then kind of sat back. Then I started getting emails from them, and this is just an email campaign, so it's nothing overly fancy in terms of modern channels, but I started getting emails saying, you're kind of, we're on it, and we're working on it, and it's coming soon, and this is when you should expect it, and I was like, well, this is kind of nice. I feel really connected. They seem to be all over my order. I'm not worried that they've forgotten about me, and it was like a reasonable amount of money, so it was nice to have that, you know, sort of reinforcement of the connection to the, 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 the sale. 
And then I got this really interesting email, which was, your pedestal is ready. See it here. So I opened the email, and there was a link to a YouTube video. So I click on the link, and I open a YouTube video, and the YouTube video is Melissa. And Melissa is standing on the shop floor at Pedestal Source in her work clothes, like, you know, overalls and stuff like that with, you know, safety glasses and everything. And she's just finished making my pedestal. And she's basically, it's like an iPhone video. And it's like, hey, I just finished making your pedestal. And I just wanted to show it to you. I'm really excited about it. I feel really good about it. Did a really nice job. It's looking great. And, and I want to show you that's 11 and a half inches and 11 and a half inches by 42 inches. And she had an actual tape measure and she was showing, you know, in real time and you could see it in relationship to her. And so you, you saw your pedestal that she had just made and it was going to ship to you. And she said, it's going to be shipping in the next couple of days. And I just wanted to thank you for ordering from pedestal source. And it's been really a real pleasure making this for you. And I was like, Wow, like that is like the greatest experience I've ever had with a product. And, uh, but it's also very clever because these things are expensive to ship and probably non-trivial to try to sh ship back. And she was essentially reinforcing the size so I could see my pedestal. And if I had any issues, here's my chance. So she didn't say, this is your last chance or anything. But clearly, I mean, if I had an issue, I'd be able to react immediately. But I could see the whole thing. I could see the color, the way it was built. I could see the person that built it for me. It was very, very, very cool. The pedestal arrived a few days later. I set it up. It's perfect. It's amazing. It's great. And, but I, the, the pedestal is more than just the fact that the pedestal is you know, a thing that works. It stands in the corner and has a light on it. It makes a relatively simple piece. It's a piece of wood, right? Uh, it's a relatively simple sort of architecture. But the fact that they did all this other stuff in the between has made that pedestal so much more interesting. And as I think about customer experience and all this stuff that people talk about and all the implementation and this and this system and that system and this system and here we want to do this and that and this, I think, you know, I don't know. How hard would it be just to like, hey, I just packed your box. Here's all the stuff that's in it. It's on its way. Let me know if you have any problems. My name's Grad. Something powerful there. So anyway, I just wanted to start with that story. Um, uh, and, uh, and I think it, it links a little bit to your idea about being more human and, you know, are we over-digitizing stuff? And obviously they're using a digital transmission with email, but there's something very, very non-digital about the way they did this. So uh, let, me, let me throw it to you for a second, get your reaction. No, but I, I think that's a great story because they, it was digital. Uh, they used all kinds of ways to connect with you, but the most important part of this, to your point, was they, they made the human connection, right? They, they actually showed you where they were with what you had contracted them to do. They showed you who was working on it, so you get a sense of you know how much pride there is in the work and craftsmanship they put into it. And, and, and then you also got a lot of confidence that, okay, it is actually done and it's coming to me and it looks great. <laughs> I can't wait. Plus now you have a story that goes with it. <laughs> so there's a value add that you wouldn't get anywhere else. Yeah. yeah. And this is like pedestal source, right? The, the, the thing that maybe, I don't, maybe the, maybe the thing that weirds me out the most is, I mean, I'm not trying to like run down their company. It's, it's obviously an awesome company and they're clearly very successful, but if a company that makes wooden pedestals can figure this out, and I don't know who came up with this, like somebody super smart over there did this, 
then why why can't I get this with my car? Yeah, exactly. I I, I don't understand. Like, I'm paying a lot, a lot more money for my car. I don't get even like a tenth of that. Like why, when I finish a service call, why doesn't, instead of giving me a text saying your car is ready, why don't I get a, why don't I get a quick video from the mechanic saying, hey, just finished going over the whole car, looking good. I wanted to show you this little thing here, but this is pretty good. Like all of this is totally possible, right? It is. I mean, I had to, I think a similar story, a good one um, around design. I think I might have talked to you about it, but it was, I, you know, we were thinking of renovating our, our place and I, I love this stuff, number one. So that's a little bit that gives you, a, I love design. So um, I, I'm a little bit more a high, high touch <laughs> than your average customer. So that could be good and bad, right? Yeah, I think that's mostly bad, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> mostly bad. <laughs> I'm told, but you know, that I'm paying them to tell me this that, that I'm not so bad. Um, okay, that's fair. <laughs> but I do appreciate it. I appreciate what people put into it. The thought. I, I love. I love design. And um, in the past, right? I, I, you know, if you want to do this, I'm not great at things like what color goes with what, what texture, which way, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I can appreciate it and immediately see something's good, but I can't really always tell you what should be going with something. And so, you know, you might end up with something that's just very blah. So that's, that was the starting point. And, and normally I, like in the past, I think we've used, you know, maybe hired a designer or maybe, you know, if it's really tough an architect, but I, in the past experiences of those, I've, I've not said, I've not really found that they've been any, any more, you know, accurate or better. If I, you know, pay them $500 or I paid them, Five thousand dollars. It, it's still a little bit hit or miss, right? You know, it's hard mm-hmm. for someone to really get who you are and and, t- and not try to push their all their stuff on you, but at the same time strike the right balance. So I I, I went online uh, a couple of years ago and I was sort of looking around and and I found this thing. It was I was trying to think about this too because I was working with a client who was looking to do some of this work and I was like, well, who does this design stuff online? And is it collaborative and all that? And I found a startup at the time, which was called Monty. And I don't know if, you, if I told you about that, but it, it was really no, interesting. No, And what they basically... How's that spelled? How's Monty spelled? M-O-D-S-Y. M-O-D-S-Y. Gotcha. Okay. And you go in and the premise is, hey, we're going to make this a lot simpler. <laughs> okay. I'm listening. And um, the thought was, you know, it's hard to figure out you know, your rooms and what goes with what and you might like certain things and other things don't go with it. You might have things you want to keep, but we don't know if you put new stuff with it. Well, we're going to make that a lot easier. And we're not going to charge you a bunch of money for it. We're going to, we're going to create your room. You just give us the photos and we'll tell you exactly where to take those photos and how many. And then we're going to ask you some stuff. We'll do a little psych. I call it a psychographic test, which is what are the things you like? What are the things you don't like, uh, do you leave, you know, and they show you photos or you can upload your own from Pinterest or Instagram or anything like that. I'll tell, oh, that's nice. <laughs> now, now they're collecting things. And then, you know, like, what colors do you like? Do you, and it's not just, oh, I like blue. It's, do you like warm colors? Do you like cooler colors? Do you like bold colors? And they, they get all that. And, you know, you pay them, I think it was like, a, uh, like a, at the time it was like $199 for a couple rooms. And what they promise to do is recreate your room as it is, um, and then 
come up with a couple of different options for what you know, by working with a designer based on the things that you just told them that you really like. And sure enough, after about, and it's great because they do the same thing that your, your pedestal companies do. Every, like the minute you submit everything, they're, they're communicating with you in some fashion. You know, we thank you for the photos. We're going to get back to you today. If we need anything else, we're going to have someone look at them. And if you need something, they come back to you and email or they you know, uh, text you and like, hey, I could use an extra photo here. And then you do that and I say, okay, in the next 48 hours or three days, I'm, your designer is going to be in touch. They're going to come up with your preliminary design. And, and then they, you can work with them. You can chat with them. You can set up a call with them. Or we can just do this all uh, remotely and, and virtually. And because they set this thing up in high def in their, uh, in their space, and, and because it's completely uh, customizable, you can interact with anything that's in that room. So they'll put stuff in, but if you say, I don't really like that chair, I like that kind, you can drag and drop something else into it. And they'll oh, tell you what the difference in cost is. Sounds amazing. And it puts it in his personal studio too. So all your stuff that's in that room that they put, put in based on things you're interested in. If you said you like CB2 or Great Barrel or uh, Design Within Reach or you know uh, yeah. something else, that's where they're pulling these things from. Um, the, all that stuff is, as it goes into your room and into your studio, it's like your own mini catalog. It's your own website, basically, where you can look at stuff, change things, look at the price and whatever else. But they don't stop there. They, they sort of like they want to get you to buy that stuff uh, because I believe the model is that they get a certain you know, percentage of the sales they originate off that. And uh, but you're not paying extra for it. You're only paying that flat fee, and you're only paying for uh, you're only paying the best price. So one of their promises to you is taking the pain out of all this is buying something from say a crate barrel. Only to have it done, you know, like come down in price three weeks later, and then you're like, "Oh man, I should have waited." Mm. Their guarantee to you is, if if anything happens within that first few months where the price goes down, we'll notify you the price has gone down, and we'll get the refund for you. So we did that, and and, and honestly, I wasn't expecting much to come out of it. But like they came up with great designs. The person they work, you know, we worked with. They were really flexible. They didn't care how many iterations, how annoying you were. It was like, well, yeah, that looks good. Oh, we'll change the color on the background here. <laughs> sure. And um, and I'm sure it wasn't all digitally automated. I'm sure that a lot of this was, like your example, a heavy dose of manual labor. Um, but they made the, the math work. And more than that, we ended up buying... Uh, about three or four rooms worth of new furniture and rugs hmm. and stuff uh, based on that because I didn't have to deal with anything going wrong. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I, I am totally going to try that because I'm in the middle of a bunch of interior design myself. Yeah. So it reminds me a little bit of FrameBridge. FrameBridge is at a sort of smaller scale, but they, they frame stuff. Right. And, uh, and But framing is very, you know, it's like all sorts of different ways of doing things. And they're very good at kind of going back and forth and back and forth until you get it quite exactly right. I had kind of a tricky piece I had to do recently and they did a great job on it. And it's, but the same idea is felt feels very customized and very, and I think what we're talking about here in both cases is that it's like the product itself is delivering the customer experience. Sure. Because it's, it's, 
it changes that experience from being a bit of a drudge. Like I used to have to go around and look online and go into the store and talk to a bunch of people and then look at swatches, but they aren't really the whole thing because that chair was in blue or in this one, you know, the swatches in red and, and it was a chore, right? I just couldn't see the entirety of the arc of my shopping experience, but what they did was build, they, they looked at the arc of a person's shopping experience of redoing a room and said, okay, let's look at it end to end and let's get all the friction out of that. <laughs> that was, I think, what they did. Let's get all the friction out of that. Let's try to be as absolutely helpful as we can afford to be uh, and be very communicative in that process. And and the result is, I think, a lot, a lot of people will buy. Um, so, yeah, and then, then we talked about the antithesis of that, which is, you know, I, I think I was joking with you. I think maybe in my old age I'm getting cranky because... Uh, I've now, you know, I w- watch my own experiences with like an eagle eye. And like, well, man, I start documenting these things. Like, how bad was that? <laughs> well, you know, you've got less time, right? So you got to be more worried about how things go. Things got to go more smoothly because you don't have much time to waste. <laughs> I don't have time to wait in line for this. Yeah, man. It's time to take in. I'm more than half done. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> but, I, but I think it's because also, you know, I deal with these clients like, my, uh, the companies I patronize are more often than are my, my clients. And so I have to be a little bit careful about, you know, being dismissive right. or, yeah. or critical, but, but I really try to be helpful. So, the, but the one thing I think I've decided that is really important, which I think is a big missing these days is being able to put yourself in the shoes of the customer, right? Love walk that mile. That's what those personal experiences teach me. So whenever I can, I try to actually, before we, do a strategy or hand something over. I try to actually go, okay, let's, let's do a sanity test here. I'm going to be the customer. I'm actually going to buy something from you. I'm not going to expense you. <laughs> something I probably need, um, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to, I'm going to good, bad, or otherwise I'm going to document everything that happens. And it's amazing how eye opening that is it, because it actually stops me and, and, you know, my group sometimes from, from emphasizing the wrong thing. Like clients may come to us and say, I really want to automate this, or I really want to build a better experience around this. But more often than not, when we're looking at it, it's, 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 it's a, with this sort of framework around making the experience better for ultimately the company, the brand versus how do I really make the experience much better for the customer? <laughs> like I'll make it better for them. Yeah. If it you know, gets my bottom line. Like, no, no. How do you make it? And what's interesting about what you're saying, I love the way you're talking about this, because this is actually, we're almost rediscovering something that we we used to know. It is a bit of a funny thing about marketing, maybe even in business a little bit too, but certainly in marketing is that no one remembers the past and no one really studies the past. And my, my, my brother's an organic chemist, and he's working at the fringes of the most advanced technology in biotech today. He's just like, he's at the most itsy bitsy, like it's just so unbelievable what he's doing in terms of genetics and all the stuff that they're working on. Um, But he also knows the periodic table of elements, like, right. You know, he doesn't, he's not like, who needs to know that old stuff? I mean, that's still important. Whereas I feel like in marketing and advertising, we forget the periodic table. We never learn it. There's a great book called the art of writing advertising. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a, 
sort of McGraw-Hill kind of advertising classic. It's an interview by a guy named Dennis Higgins. And he interviews David Ogilvy, um, Bill Bernbach, uh, Leo Burnett, Rosser Reeves, who invented the whole point of the idea of USP, and um, uh, George Gribben, who my dad worked with when he was at YNR. And in there, uh, Leo Burnett talks a lot about what you're saying. Leo Burnett talks a lot about walk a mile in your customer's shoes. Uh, you know, try to understand the way the customer uses the product. Use your client's products. Someone once asked Leo Burnett, he, he would always wear suits from Sears, because Sears was a, he was based in Chicago, right? And Sears was a really big client. So, and he was, Leo Burnett was an extremely wealthy man near the end of his life, and he could afford to buy a suit anywhere. But he always wore suits from Sears, and he always smoked Winston cigarettes, and in Winston, we're a fine cigarette, but not the top of the line cigarette. He could afford a better cigarette, but he smoked Winston cigarettes and, and he, you know, you know, ate green giant frozen peas. And like he, he used all the things that he sold. And someone said, why do you, like, why don't you just smoke a better cigarette and buy a better suit and eat fresh vegetables? And he's like, I just find that profit tastes better. <laughs> So I love that. But but that is something people have forgotten, and I don't know why. Well, I think it's, you know, it's, it goes back to I was telling you about this, I think, the last time we talked, which was at least a hypothesis, which is being a historian, I always go gravitate towards history. And I always think about, well, what was it, you know, before the 20th century, before, you know, mass advertising and large corporations. And, and, and we, you know, ultimately, you boil it down, we were a nation or nations of shopkeepers, you know, and, hmm. and it was very hard to go and to scale those, right? So you would probably know most of your customers <laughs> and they would know you, good, bad, or otherwise. And the best ones would probably make it their business to know their customers, right? They would keep something back that just came in that they knew that their customers liked or they would replace something without a, you know, without question. Others were less savory, no doubt, and tried to pass off bad meat for, <laughs> for fresh, but... But in truth, you know, you were limited by the, the number of people you could have in your your commercial audience. And then you flash forward, and you know, as we get in the 20th century, and, and things come together, we conglomerate, and, and, and then you know, sort of mass advertising erupts. You know, it, it becomes all about economies of scale. Like, how do I run a massive business globally without you know? I, I can't know my customer. I'm so far removed from you know, like 15 degrees mm -hmm. of separation. Which, which is, you know, it was a benefit in the sense of increasing productivity and, and you know, increasing scale and obviously reaching new markets in ways no one could possibly have done before. And there was enough momentum of, because the stuff was new that people, there was a high demand, right? It's like, I want McDonald's. <laughs> okay. right. You know, I want to right. know what this thing is. And, uh, but, but as, as that progressed, you know, the further you, further it progressed, the further and further away that we came, you know, from our customers. And then we had to employ proxies for that, you know, you have market research. It's all the, the, the evolution of that in that matter. Right? <laughs> we have to have statistical right. research about our customers and then we'll segment them and then we'll do some conjoint analysis. And then we'll come up with two or three segments that we think we can build a business around. But, you know, still it's, it's a snapshot in time on an abstract. And so what's interesting now is that I kind of feel like it's historically come full circle. And it's come full circle because for the first time, truly, we have technologies that are two-way. We have our customers 
bleeding about who they are, like like, like a lamb bleeding, right? <laughs> like, I'm like this. I want that. I this is who right. I am. Yeah. This is what I respect and value. But as I always joke, even though we have all that, uh, I always say if you if you're old enough to have watched at least in rerun, you know, I love Lucy, and you saw the one where Viv and Lucy were in the chocolate factory working part time on a conveyor belt and. The chocolates started fine, and then they all started coming faster and faster. And they started dropping on the floor, and they pushed them in their pockets and stuck them in their mouths, right? We can't keep up with all the data that we've got. And part of that is because we're just avaricious for for data and not really thinking, okay, let's peel this all back to what it really matters, which is walking a mile in the customer's shoe, understanding who your customer truly is, what motivates them, what annoys them. And, and and figure out ways first and foremost to hold on to them right, before you get a whole bunch more. Um, and that's where I think we are right now, which is we have this promise. We actually have the ability to do some of these things, but we don't do them because we're still got this sort of 20th century mass marketing, uh, you know, large conglomeration mindset that keeps us very disjuncted and separate and siloed. Uh, you know, we joke. I joked with you. Like, uh, honestly, I, I I don't see marketing going away. I just see marketing is everybody's business. Being a salesperson is everyone's business. If you touch a customer, if you talk yeah. to them, just like that that uh, person who made your pedestal, you know, you probably right. would never talk to him. But now you know who she yeah, is. Yeah, Melissa's in marketing too. Yeah, I mean, she makes pedestals, but like she was. She was proud of it, and that, that made me excited about getting it because I had the person I, I felt like the person who made it put some care and love into it, so it made me think about that pedestal in a very different way it, versus I probably would have assumed it came off some kind of anonymous production line. I wouldn't have associated it with a human being, and maybe I would have been more critical. I don't know. I mean, I, there's nothing really to be critical of, but it, you know, it, just, it changes your mindset when someone presents something to you as, this is my thing. Do you like it? Well, and what we said, right, time and time again, you said this, which is when you define what humanizing is, it's not some amazing new thing that we just came up with because the social scientists came up with it. It's it's the most basic fundamental thing that we have, which is we're very visceral, emotional creatures. We're social creatures. We don't like, you know, we, we want to be able to trust people. We want to, and when we do, we probably trust them, you know, almost for life. Same with brands. Same with, with anything, um, you know, but if you shatter that trust, if you aren't transparent, if you push people away at a distance, if you treat them as though they don't really matter, they're just, they're just fodder for you selling more stuff. Um, that's where I think we're, we're rapidly coming off the rails. And I think the companies and brands and even governments that realize, you know, how to make more intimate, yeah, I'm not even saying have to be one-to-one, but intimate connections with people, making them feel they matter, that's going to be what separates the wheat from the chaff. We're going to take a break now, having a fantastic conversation with Rob Harles. He's the global lead for modern and emerging channels for Accenture Interactive. And we're going to be uh, picking that up in sort of a part two uh, in the next episode. So for the Unified CXM Experience, I'm Grad Khan, CXO at Sprinkler, and I'll talk with you and Rob next time.